Is the church's original foundation more important or its cultural progression? We'll talk about that next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? going to quote a comment which will introduce our topic for the next couple of shows. Yeah. This comment was made by an anonymous person. In fact, I'm not even sure where I first read it, mm. but it just was so interesting and and challenged us with a topic from a webpage entitled The CES Letter. I've heard of that. And a lot of people <laughs> have, many haven't. Uh, but it's packed with information regarding Mormonism, which is important to discuss. And as we make our th way through these next couple of shows, we ask our viewers to ask themselves, do I dare research what I believe and how it originated as these people have researched their beliefs? First the quote and then our discussion. I left the Mormon church in December 2013, the same year the church released its gospel topic essays to its members so the membership could membership could have reliable and correct information to study and avoid anything anti-Mormon. They did this because the information and technology, technology age we live in, there was more and more information coming out about the history of the church and the inner workings of it. I had lots of questions raised in my mind while in my 30s and with some of the things happening in my personal life I felt compelled to search these gospel topic essays to find answers to the questions which troubled me. So, as directed by the prophet and the leaders, I sought out those good books to find the answers I was seeking. I would never have guessed that the information in those essays would be the most damning evidence of the truth of the LDS Church. You can read them for yourselves here at the Church of Jesus Christ of Church of Jesus Christ dot org gospel topics backslash twice intro and then compare it to the information found here in the cesletter.org an anonymous seeker of truth exactly and there there should be more anonymous seekers of truth <laughs> as time goes by with this information out the ces letter was written by jeremy runnels who also had questions questions he didn't get answered by people who should have answered him and who should have known the answers to answer him. Jeremy was an active and fully believing member of the LDS Church. He totally accepted and embraced and lived Mormonism. But in late 2011, he read a news article about a question and answer meeting that was held up at the Utah State yeah. University hosted by LDS historian and general authority Marlon K. Jensen. We quote from the article that he read. He, Marlon Jensen, was asked his thoughts regarding the effects of Google on membership and people who were leaving in droves over church history. And Elder Marlon K. Jensen's response was, maybe since Kirtland, we've never had a period of, I'll call it apostasy, like we're having now, largely over these issues. Well, this truly shocked me. I didn't understand what was going on or why people would leave over history. I started doing research and reading books like LDS historian and scholar Richard Bushman's Joseph Smith, Rough Stone Rolling, and many others to try to better understand what was happening. So he wanted to find out the answers. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. No. And he, <clears throat> excuse me, he did his research. And he lists his main concerns, and of course you can find them on the website that we gave you. 
we are going to discuss some of the topics from his list, topics that particularly impacted or continue to impact mm. both Earl and myself. Again, uh, the website for the CES letter is on the screen, as well as the ability to download the letter onto your own device. Yeah, you can you download it in PDF file. Yeah, exactly. CES, mm -hmm. and you can read the whole thing and. Or like uh, you can order the book. Right? Order the book from yeah. the website as well. So read it and discover the truth. That's the important thing. Be honest with yourself. It's your eternity. It isn't ours. And you need to establish the truth and the errors of everything. Bishop Earl is a former loyal, believing Mormon. And I was born and raised under Mormon doctrine in a Mormon polygamy group. So we understand the relevance for both LDS and Mormon fundamentalists uh, of this letter and of the sure research do. he did. Sure do. And we're not going to discuss every topic that he does. We don't have the time. But he has done a thorough examination of the topics with lots and lots of quotes and references yeah, and it's footnotes. Just, it's just excellent, really. It is excellent. And most of the footnotes, most of the reference are directly from qualified and accepted LDS sources. I know, it's just, <laughs> just a matter of looking at it. It's huh? a matter of, of having the courage to read it. The Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon translation, and the Book of Abraham are <clears throat> the top three on the list. Bishop Earl is going to present some of his questions about the Book of Mormon. I particularly want to address his concerns about the Book of Abraham and how they feed into my own troubling questions, especially since the Book of Abraham has now been thoroughly and unquestionably debunked, yet is still considered scripture by LDS and polygamists. We have viewers who are LDS, who are active polygamists, some who are also viewers, of some viewers who are also questioning their polygamist or their Mormon faith, those who have left polygamy and joined the LDS church, some viewers who are considering joining either the LDS church or a polygamy group, and some viewers who have left their group or the LDS church and are plagued by guilt and may be considering going back. Please don't make a decision to embrace any form of Mormonism until you read the entire CES letter. Again, here is the link on the screen for you to do that. Now, the preface of the letter focuses on a comment. I love this. Oh, I do too. Right straight from the mouth of Mormon. Yeah? Uh, so proud. <laughs> yeah. Really. It's a comment by J, uh, President J. Reuben Clark, which we hope everyone in any Mormon sect would take to heart and understand this Mormon man's statement. If we have the truth, it cannot be harmed by investigation. If we have not the truth, it ought to be harmed. He was an attorney, too. Was he? I think was he was a judge, an attorney. Hmm. Well, then, then he I'm would know about that in, yeah. a, in the court of law, right? That's right. There's a higher court waiting to find out <laughs> how much truth people well, I'm actually sure he knows embraced. about it now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, like we said, he's by an authoritative Mormon voice. Now, why don't more people in the Mormon faith question and investigate their leaders and, and their religion? You know, I really can't answer made, and I didn't either. They're made fear not to. Yeah. They're afraid to. I guess. Uh, but obviously you cannot be harmed if you do. Truth won't hurt your eternity, but not knowing the truth will. One angry LDS woman once told me, I don't need to investigate. I just know it's true. Another one told me that if God himself came and sat down beside her and told her Mormonism wasn't true, she wouldn't believe him. That's not strong faith. That's stupid. <laughs> 
And, and, and a dear relative told me she knows the polygamy group is true because she feels it in her heart that it is true. Yeah. But God commands us not to trust our hearts, but to trust his word instead. His word is our only reliable and unchanging measure for truth and error. So let's begin with the topics we've chosen to discuss from the CES letter. My first topic is the book of Abraham. The LDS Church posted an official essay online entitled Translation and Historicity of the Book of Abraham. You can find it at the link on the screen. And these are the Mormon essays. You can go up in the right-hand corner and scroll down to Translation and History of the Book of Abraham. And you can read the entire essay, yeah. written, official LDS essay about the Book of Abraham. And they're right there on LDS.org, right? Uh-huh, yeah. And uh, we're going to refer to these essays several times right. in the next... Uh, True. And yeah. this, this one and the next, right. right. Now, the essay admits uh, that the characters on the Egyptian fragments do not match <coughs> the translation that Joseph Smith claimed is the Book of Abraham. Scholars have identified the papyrus fragments as texts that were used in ancient ceremonies for the dead and then were buried with the mummified bodies. So they had the funeral service, and they buried it with the bodies, and that's yeah. what Joseph Smith got a hold of. Right. And these fragments date back to between the 3rd century B.C., 300 years before Christ, and the 1st century A.D., the 100 years after Christ. So there's a 400-year span yeah. that they date. Several centuries before Abraham even lived. After he lived. Over yeah. a thousand years. Yeah, for sure. After Abraham lived. Yeah. And this is a fact. It's even acknowledged by LDS authorities. It's impossible to have been written by Abraham. It did not originate with Abraham or in the time frame. Yet the heading in the Mormon Book of Abraham, which they call scripture, says this. The Book of Abraham translated from the papyrus by Joseph Smith. A translation of some ancient records that have fallen into our hands from the catacombs of Egypt. The writings of Abraham while he was in Egypt called the book of Abraham written by his own hand mm -hmm. upon papyrus. So there you go. So even after discovery and admission of the inaccuracy of the text, they continue to claim the book of Abraham is something that it obviously isn't. Why do they do that? Still perpetrate the deceit. Joseph Smith himself claimed the translate, that he translated the ancient papyrus. Well, the definition of the word translate, look it up, <laughs> is to express the sense of words or text into another language. So if the papyrus was actually or accurately translated from Egyptian to English, as Joseph Smith claimed he did, we would not have the book of Abraham. We would have nothing more than a copy of an ancient funeral service. And, and this bothered the CES letter author, yep. and it should bother everyone. <laughs> we quote again. Egyptologists have also since translated the source material for the Book of Abraham and have found it to be nothing more than a common pagan Egyptian funerary text for a deceased man named Hor around first century CE. In other words, it was a common breathing permit that the Egyptians buried with their dead. It has nothing to do with Abraham or anything Joseph claimed in his translation for the book of Abraham. The church admits this in its essay. 
they admit it, and yet they still refer to the book of Abraham as a translation, and yeah. it's not a translation. Yeah, and scripture. And they still, <laughs> yeah, and they still have that heading that you read earlier. Yeah. Well, we'd like to present a couple of examples from the book of Abraham with the question, could this truly have come from the God of Abraham? First, Joseph Smith superimposes into the supposed translation the language of Shakespearean English which was not and could not even have been in existence during the time frame that the book of Abraham supposedly covers. You know, that just stares you right in the face when you think about it. Yeah, <laughs> The it same does. with the Book of Mormon, of right, course. Right, right. Has this uh, Shakespearean English. <laughs> and he doesn't even get the grammar right in that. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, yeah, it, it would sound so different if it was really taken from the Egyptian pe time period. In the time period, or exactly. Or Abraham time period. Mm -hmm. Or even in the, the time period that it was written. Yeah, exactly. In chapter 2, Joseph Smith has God telling Abraham uh, to lie about Sarah being his wife. Well, it's impossible for God to lie, and it's just as impossible that he would command people to lie. Joseph Smith would have, should have studied biblical geography better <laughs> before he wrote these chapters. He has mixed up locations and nations. The land of the Chaldeans, which he mentions in the book, is present-day Iraq, but was Babylon, or particularly southern Babylon in those ancient times. Smith has the Egyptian pharaoh worshipping an idol in the land of Babylon at Potiphar's Hill, which is an Egyptian name. He has the planet Kolob as God's throne, yet the Bible tells us that heaven is God's throne and the earth is his footstool. There is no Kolob. No. The book of Abraham and the Bible cannot both be true at the same time. We have supporting evidence for the Bible, and the only evidence for the book of Abraham is actually a funeral service. <laughs> there are dozens of other problems with the book of Abraham translation story and its content. Another point worthy of mention, and I find quite disturbing, and I even debated whether to discuss it on the show, but I thought, why not? This is pretty important. Yeah. Is facsimile number two that Joseph Smith claimed he translated. Each section of the facsimile has been numbered, and a description by Joseph Smith of, is what is apparently taking place yeah. in each numbered section. Yeah, he explains it. <laughs> he does. Now, uh, the link is on the screen where you can find the chart, and we're going to put the chart on the screen, which um, and, and then explanations by Egyptian scholars of what this is really all about. And we wonder if you have ever taken a close look at number seven and asked, would God really have included this in a holy book with Abraham's name on it? Joseph Smith explains number seven like this. God sitting on his throne, revealing through the heavens the grand keywords of the priesthood. But Egyptologists interpret it like this. The God men, an ithyphallic God that is a sexually aroused male deity. It's in the picture. It's in the picture. It's just as plain as day. Yeah. Now, Joseph Smith said this is the grand keywords of the Mormon priesthood. Now Six. we know. <laughs> now we know what the grand keywords of the Mormon priesthood are. It shows up in polygamy for sure. And Joseph Smith's own words, and he even gives us a visual of it. Actually, the Book of Mormon claims are ignorant and blasphemous. Jeffrey Holland was interviewed by the BBC in March of 2012 about the Egyptian papyri. We quote, 
Mr. Smith, Joseph, got this papyri and he translated them and subsequently, as the Egyptologist cracked the code, something completely different. Holland, he interrupts, all I'm saying, all I'm saying is that we got translated, got translated into the Word of God. That what got translated into the Word of, is the Word of God. The vehicle for that I do not understand and don't claim to know and know no Egyptian is I don't know and I don't understand, but it's the Word of God. Really, the best answer that a prophet, seer, and revelator can come up with to come up with to such a profound problem and stumbling block that is driving many members out of the church. And of course, this is Jeremy asking these questions. Right, yeah. right. He quotes Holland and then right, he asks he, this question, yeah. and it's a good question. I think I read that <coughs> poorly for that matter. but I, They can go on the CES letter and they can read that, the whole thing right. for themselves because there's more to it than just what we're bringing out. Of course, Jeffrey Holland deceives because this is not the Word of God. And, right. and God doesn't take a funeral text and turn it into the Word of God in Shakespearean English. Now, truth can stand investigation, but deceit and imitation will collapse under the weight of truth. Now, there's much, much more that concerned Jeremy as he questioned the integrity of the Book of Abraham and its supposed translation. We urge you all to go to his website and read all of it. Next was his concerns are about how Joseph Smith got the Book of Mormon. And Earl will explain his concerns about that. Yeah, this is fascinating. And it really was the problems with the Book of Mormon that, that, that bothered me at the very beginning. And Jeremy asks this very first question, what are the 1769 King James Version edition errors doing in the Book of Mormon? A purported ancient text Errors which are unique to the 1769 edition that Joseph Smith owned. Now, I've only been able to touch a few things that right. Jeremy covered. And right. so go to the CES letter and you'll be able to see all the details. But one of them is the cherubim's word that was used in Alma 1221. By the way, it's now cherubim. They've changed oh, it. They, they fixed it. They then. have changed it. <laughs> um, but it was in the Book of it's in the Book of Mormon in Alma and in the 1830 Book of Mormon. And of course, that's an error. Cherub is singular. Mm -hmm. Cherubim is plural. In the Hebrew, cherubims in the Hebrew, an I am at the end of the word is like an S plural, at the end of our word. So he's double pluralized it yeah. by putting an S on it. Another interesting, I call it an acronym, but it's really just an error. But Isaiah 40 through 55, actually 40 through 66, they're generally considered these chapters to have been written after the Babylonian exile. And uh, I guess it's on the screen, some of this, I'm mm -hmm. which is after Lehi left Jerusalem. Well, Isaiah 53 is copied word for word in Mosiah 14, which of course was after Lehi left Jerusalem. Right. And Isaiah 50 through 52 is copied word for word in 2 Nephi chapter 7 and 8. And also Malachi is believed to have been written about 455 BC, long after Lehi and his family left Jerusalem. And Malachi 4.1 is also quoted in 1 Nephi 22.15. So he would have had to have the Bible to copy this from, not yeah. from the original. And interestingly, of course, it's identical to the 1769 family version of the Bible right. that the Smith right. family had. Mm -hmm. Number two kind of ties into this same thing. Jeremy asks this question. When King James translators were translating the King James Bible between 1604 and 1611, they would occasionally put their own words into the text to make the English more readable. And we know exactly what these words are because they're italicized 
in the King James Bible. Mm -hmm. What are these 17th century italicized words doing in the Book of Mormon word for word? What does this say about the Book of Mormon being an ancient record? And I just, a couple of uh, quick references, Malachi 3.10 and 3 Nephi 24.10 are identical. And there were seven uh, italicized words in, the, in those sentences, and they were all just repeated in, in the copied Book of Mormon. Exactly copied by exactly by Joseph Smith. And Isaiah 53 is copied entirely into Mosiah 14, and there are at least 15 wow. italicized words carried into Mosiah 14, hmm. copied word for word. And why would these... Uh, well, he asked the question, why does the Book of Mormon, which is supposed to have been completed by Moroni over 1,600 years prior, contain the exact identical words of the 17th Good century translators? Good question. I'm glad he had the courage to question these things. Yeah. It's too bad he didn't get any answers. Of course, the problem is there really aren't any answers. That's the unfortunate thing. His point number three, as far as the Book of Mormon is concerned, is that the Book of Mormon includes... King James biblical passages that were later changed in the Joseph Smith's translation. We call that the JST um, in the Bible. These Book of Mormon verses should match the inspired Joseph Smith translation version instead of the King James verses. A typical example of the differences between the Book of Mormon, the King James, and the Joseph Smith translation. I'm not going to read through these, but there are three of them listed. 3 Nephi 13.26 from the Book of Mormon, the Bible, King James Version, Matthew 6, 26, they're identical. And they're identical They're words, identical. Right. And then the Joseph Smith translation is the one that's different, and it's exactly the same except for, except for the last sentence, how much more will he not feed you? Yeah. So here he, uh, Just, he adds added that. that in Joseph Smith translation. You'd expect that to at least be in the third Nephi translation of the, in the Book of Mormon. Now another one that's kind of really a little different, but it's it's so fascinating. In 2 Nephi, the Book of Mormon is identical to the Joseph Smith translation. And that says these two sons. But the King James Version of Isaiah 51:19 says these two things. And interestingly enough, the Dead Sea Scrolls agrees with the King James Version that it should read these two things. Right. So the Dead Sea Scrolls supports the King James, and it's just Joseph Smith's writing of Book of Mormon and Isaiah that. Uh, so it shows it shows where the changes were made, yeah. and it wasn't in the Bible; it was in Joseph Smith. Yeah, the Dead Sea Scrolls did. agrees with the King James. Right, right. His fourth point is the DNA analysis has concluded that Native American Indians do not originate from the Middle East or from Israelites, but rather from Asia. Why did the church change the following section of the introduction page in the 2006 edition of the Book of Mormon shortly after the DNA results were released? That's an interesting so my question. Book of Mormon, which is a 1981 Book of Mormon, says this. After thousands of years, all were destroyed except the Lamanites, and they are the principal ancestors of the American Indians. The church now has their Book of Mormon read in the introduction. They are among the ancestors of the American Indians. So, so they, modern science made them change the yeah, wording on this. Yeah. Then we have a couple of quotes from Gospel Topic Essays. So these again are LDS.org. These are the church's essays about the Book of Mormon and the DNA. 
The evidence assembled to date suggests that the majority of Native Americans carry largely Asian DNA. These people, scientists say, spread rapidly to fill North and South American, America and were likely the primary ancestors of modern American Indians. So they admit that. And then this is how they make this... I just love the church and their attorneys and the way they write things. <laughs> the way they One reason it is difficult to use DNA evidence to draw definite conclusions about Book of Mormon peoples is that nothing is known about the DNA that Lehi, Sarah, Ishmael, and others brought to the Americas, even though the Book of Mormon tells us that Lehi was from the tribe of Manasseh. Yeah. So I don't think yeah. he was Asian. Yeah, you know, I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, they, about that. And they they don't remember. They obviously don't remember what's been said in other places of their. Yeah, and and to and read that and then say, well, I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. So number five point, uh, and this is kind of fun, but anachronisms. There's horses, cattle, oxen, sheep, swine, goats, elephants, wheels, chariots, wheat, silk, steel, and iron. They did not exist in pre-Columbian America. Why are they mentioned in the Book of Mormon? Good question. Well, it turned out B.H. Roberts was assigned the task of going through and answering a gentleman's five or six questions from back east. And he, he was asked by the church to do this. And this is his conclusion. He said, this list of anachronisms constitutes one of our most embarrassing difficulties. And the weight of evidence lay with those who said horses and other domestic animals were not found in the Americas before Columbus. And then his letter to the First Presidency, dated 1921, says this, I am most thoroughly convinced of the necessity of all the brethren herein addressed, becoming familiar with these Book of Mormon problems and finding the answer for them, as it is a matter that will concern the faith of the youth of the church now and such casual inquirers as may come to us from the outside world. Hmm. Uh, e, the CES letter. Yeah, mm -hmm. and me. I and, mean, and it, you, it, yeah. I read B.H. Roberts' book, and I felt like here I'm reading a, um, a member of the church, like Grant Palmer's being an institute director. I read uh, his letter, or his book, B.H. Mm -hmm. Roberts' Study of Book of Mormon, and... Uh, this is what he wrote, and it was pretty disturbing. Mm -hmm. The last point I've got here is archaeology, and there's absolutely no archaeological evidence to directly support the Book of Mormon, who were supposed to have numbered, support the people in the Book of Mormon, supposed to have numbered in the millions. And we have a little picture here that's kind of fascinating. This is a Book of Mormon archaeology exhibit. <laughs> it wouldn't take long to go through that. And it wouldn't it, would take it? too long to go through that. <laughs> What's interesting, when I was a very active Mormon, there was a Thomas Stewart Ferguson, an attorney, and I read his book about, about his search for um, evidence for the Book of Mormon sites in, in, mm -hmm. the, in the North or South America. Anyway, uh, Jeremy has written this about uh, Mr. Ferguson. Latter-day Saint Thomas Stuart Ferguson was the founder of BYU's Archaeology Division, New World Archaeological Foundation, and was financed by the LDS Church. NWAF and Ferguson were tasked by BYU and the church in the 50s and 60s to find archaeological evidence to support the Book of Mormon. After 17 years of diligent effort, a lot of time I think he spent in South America, lot, yeah. this is what Ferguson wrote in a February 1976 letter. You can't set the Book of Mormon geography down anywhere because it is fictional. 
and you will never meet the requirements of a dirt archaeology. I should say what is in the ground will never confirm to what is in the book. Wow, that's that's pretty amazing. Isn't it, it is. It's amazing. I mean, he did his research and he found out that there was no evidence. There's nothing. No archaeology. You can't put it anywhere on the anywhere. He said. Yeah. You can't set the Book of Mormon geography anywhere, and yet they're still trying to yeah. push it off as being a valid book. We've got a little more on the Book of Mormon. We'll cover it next time. That's right, next time. <laughs> uh, and like Jeremy uh, Reynolds, we too wonder when, or if ever, the LDS Church and the Mormon fundamentalist groups will come clean and stop hiding the truth. Turn to Jesus for forgiveness. Toss the Book of Mormon, the Book of Abraham, polygamy, and lying for the Lord. Jesus Christ is the Savior all by himself. And we don't need anything else. So, like Earl said, he's got more to present on the Book of Abra or the Book of Mormon, and then we've got more to talk about oh, in yeah. the CES so letter. Much more, yeah. Thanks, Earl. I appreciate it. Appreciate it very much. You know, it's been said that the Bible is God's personal love letter to us. Love includes war warning the one loved of impending dangers, which the Bible does. The Bible is history, especially of the nation of Israel. It's also the history of humanity and why we all need a Savior. Yes, there is a lot of violence in the Bible and wars and idolatry and even polygamy is recorded in the history of humanity, proving we need a Savior. There's a lot of violence today. Wars, rapes, theft, deceit, failure to protect our children. It's all there and it's all proof that we all need a Savior. God lays the foundation and then supplies the answer and the Savior himself. Mormonism isn't the answer, neither is polygamy or Joseph Smith. Jesus is the only and the exclusive answer. Don't leave this life without him. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.